Welcome to Sastery in the Making, the podcast that features the people who made the software world what it is today and the leaders who are shaping the future of technology. Here's your host, Matt Wallach. Okay, I have questions for you. Do you want to learn why the best practices you've been told about marketing were all wrong? Or would you want to understand and diagnose your marketing FOMO? Or do you want to find out the type of leads your marketing team should really be passing over to sales? If so, then you're in the right place. This is Sastery in the Making. I'm your host, Matt Wallach, and I am delighted to be joined by our special guest today, Refine Labs CEO and founder, Chris Walker. Chris, how you doing? Awesome. Awesome, Matt. Good to see you, man. Happy to be here. Good. I'm happy to have you here for sure. Let me tell you all a little bit about Chris. This guy is a stud. He is the CEO of Refine Labs, as I mentioned, and really what they do is they empower marketing leaders with a buyer-centric approach to demand generation, and it really delivers powerful results. And I really love just following him and them. They've got this outside-the-box way of thinking around marketing, and I know it's really benefited their clients. I've seen some of the stories. And he's got a great deal of experience and knowledge around marketing and startups, and he's really a true visionary and an innovator. So I'm I'm happy to have him. So thanks for coming on, Chris. Yeah, great to be here. Happy to dive into wherever direction you want to take this. (laughs) Careful what you say. We might might go crazy. (laughs) Uh, But tell me a little bit about what you're doing at Refine Labs lately and and what's coming up. Yeah, yeah, so... um... I would say that we're quite different than like your traditional marketing agency. We're constantly innovating and changing our approach. And we act more like uh, a part of their uh, the clients we work with, their team. We're in their Slack. Um, we're participating in QBRs. We're doing stuff like that if they want. Um, we're in their Salesforce instance. We report on revenue, not on MQLs or impressions or clicks. And so um, really trying to just break that that model, I don't think that it works. I When I worked in-house and led a demand gen function, I used an agency for AdWords and they reported on CPA and never even looked at whether or not the people submitting the form were relevant. And I just wow. thought it was so broken. Um, and so uh, I think over the last five years, I've developed a formula that uh, I've repeated at company over company and seen a similar result. And over time, we've gotten even more narrow on what characteristics the company needs to have in order for this model to be really successful. Um, and when you break it down, it is essentially just a, a a content-driven, both paid and organic approach to demand generation, which informs and educates buyers, creates awareness, uh, subconscious product consideration, and then inbound sales conversions that convert to revenue at a higher rate and in shorter sales cycles. I love it. As a sales guy, I really appreciate all of that for sure. And I think you're doing some good stuff. But I want to talk about something you touched on there. You talk a lot about the difference between lead volume and lead quality. And you kind of mentioned that there. So tell me a little bit about how that difference works. Well, it first on it first starts on how you define the lead. Um, and so some companies will define it as we have their email address and they have a pulse. Um, other companies are a little bit more um, uh, a little bit more stringent. When I look at it, what I would consider a lead is somebody that submitted some type of form saying, I want to talk to your sales rep. And that's it. Like um, at that point, if you're a sales rep, I feel like those are the only people you want to talk to anyway. Otherwise, you're just you're just chasing people that don't want to talk to you. And you might as well go outbound to your target target accounts, right? 
Um, and so that's how I define a lead. So if you look at it from like a metric standpoint, our cost per lead is going to be higher than most companies, but our customer acquisition cost is going to be significantly lower because the funnel conversion metrics are so much better. I mean, that's where it is. Once you get your CAC down, uh, you can start to see that LTV to CAC ratio really take off. I actually just gave a talk this morning about that. Um, so it's music to my ears to hear you say that uh, get the leads that the sales team wants, because uh, really that's my focus is, you know, uh, sales and you focus on marketing and demand generation. I work on sales and once the lead comes in. So too many times I see marketing and sales kind of siloed and in within these companies, these departments who should be working together are, are not really doing so. So how do you envision, how should these two teams, sales and marketing really work well together? Um, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to this particularly as a marketer i feel like i feel like a lot of companies overdo it um they almost combine the teams um and what happens when you combine the teams is you actually just have your marketing team start doing sales activities which i don't agree with um and so the way that i think that we we get there as a collective is for marketers to just start focusing on revenue and so like i'm in salesforce looking at pipeline generated off marketing sourced I'm looking at sales efficiency metrics. I'm looking at how they're moving through the funnel. I'm looking at conversion rates from demo request to qualified opportunity. And so like, I think that's how you get there as well as an empathy for what it's like to be the sales rep receiving the leads that you're sending. And so I learned this a very long time is like, I only send sales reps leads that I think they're going to have a very high probability to close. And so and I, other than that, I feel like they actually will be would be more productive doing their own activities and not being bogged down by the things that I'm sending them for like an ebook download. So I don't do that stuff anymore because when you do it and the sales team comes back to you and says, you know, these aren't the right things, you just take the feedback and you try and get better. But the problem is that a lot of marketers don't know how to get better. They don't know how to go and get the the quality and the volume. So, so how does that work? What is your approach uh, when you start to take on a new client and you realize you do need to get that quality and that volume? What is your process when you guys bring someone new on? Yeah, so um, we break our process down into four steps. A lot of the uh, more mature companies have already done step one. So it's step one, it's called foundation attribution analytics reporting. Just like we know how to track all of the effectiveness of the activities to revenue. We can calculate customer acquisition costs. We can see funnel conversion metrics. Um, that's that's step one. A lot of companies already have that in place. So it would end up being just building a dashboard. So we know what conversion points we care about and what are the funnel metrics after that to revenue. Step two is called capture existing demand. So anyone that already has intent and is out there looking for something like you, how do you convert them into a, a prospect or a lead? Um, so that would be things like intent-based Google AdWords. How much does this software cost? I'm looking for this type of software. You want to show up first there, right? And you want to have Absolutely. them on a landing page with social proof and all these different things. So that's that's one example. G2 and Captera optimization are not, is an obvious one. Re retargeting flows based on website views. On We use YouTube in particular, which I think is unique. So YouTube retargeting, um, either based on search queries or on website visits. Do a little bit of social retargeting, but not much. Uh, lead handoff optimization. So like when someone does submit the form. Like, how are we going to get that to the right rep in a very short period of time and make that experience pleasant? Um, and then 
conversion rate optimization on key forms. So like that would be capture existing demand. The next, that's where most companies stop, by the way. So most companies will only, will only market to people that are looking for them. And when you actually think about it, not everyone is looking for you. And so I found this key step, which is step three, which is create new demand, which is cold targeted paid social to deliver short form written content or short form video content, which educates buyers. The goal is not to convert people direct response into leads. The goal is to educate them and move them into intent where step two can capture them because they're going to go and they're going to read the blog or they're going to read the case study. And then what? They're probably going to go and do a search. They're going to ask their colleague. They're going to check on G2 and eventually they're going to get routed back to where, where we want them to go. So step three and that's how, so you're building this engine like in motion. So step one set up, step two is continuously running. Step two you, or step three, you get this engine running. So you have short form written content coming out on a frequent basis with product releases, news, uh, news blogs, industry, uh, industry information, case studies, things like that. And step four is went on brand. And so went on brand would be organic, um, organic channels through thought leadership primarily. So email, podcast, organic, social, whatever channels those may be. Most often it's probably going to be LinkedIn right now. Um, YouTube potentially like a live Q and a format field marketing events. Those are the step four. And when you start getting step four down and your reach and results are going up from an organic standpoint, you can actually start to lower your customer acquisition costs because you have more customers coming in through organic channels. And so that's the, and, and just to, to preface it, like, most companies should be doing step four no matter what. But what I found over time is companies need to see that AdWords is working. They need to see that Facebook paid is working before they'd even consider going out and, you know, recording a, a $5,000 video that has nothing to do with their product for thought leadership. Like a lot of companies aren't going to buy into those types of things because they're so transactional. Yeah, absolutely. That seems like something you've got to uh, get over a hurdle to get to. And I love what you're saying about, you know, a lot of people aren't looking for you. I had a SaaS startup that we were blue ocean. There was no other company doing what we were doing. And to us, we're like, oh, golden, we're going to take over the market. This is going to be amazing because we're the only thing out there for this solution. The challenge was exactly what you said, Chris, nobody was looking for us. Mm -hmm. And so we weren't able to overcome that challenge. We weren't able to figure out how do we create that generation, generate mm -hmm. that lead you know, in that demand without having people actively looking for it. So it sounds like you've solved that. And I feel like, I feel like most companies, when they look to try and create new demand, will always go heavy outbound. Not, not everyone, but most of them, are, when they try sure. and create new demand, there's going to be heavy outbound. The challenge is one is that you have limited scale. And two, when you're, when you're doing outreach, when, when someone doesn't want it, most people are not open to listening to you. Even if you get them on the phone, and you have, and you're talking to them, they're not actually listening to you. Um, and so, uh, I've just found a different way, which moves into channels where people already are and presents the information in ways that they want in a non salesy objective way with information that helps them and then allow them to make the decision that's right for them. I think it's great. And that's what you, what you just touched on. Make the decision that's right for them is beautiful. And that's a lot of what I preach on the sales side is making sure you're focusing on their needs and their challenges and making sure you're addressing that. Uh, and associating your product is one of my, one of my terms. So you talk about being buyer centric. And I think that's aligned with, with my thinking. But what does that mean to you and your team being buyer centric? And how do you apply that? I think the key 
is really having a deep empathy for how people buy things. And so um, having understanding that someone that's buying a $500,000 ACV software tool is not going to click a direct response, get a demo ad and buy the thing. But that's how most companies, that's how most companies will run their marketing. That's how cybersecurity companies run their marketing for super high ACV products. Like it just doesn't align with how people buy things. And so um, having an understanding that it's probably going to take multiple touch points and a lot of education and giving them the information. So ungated would be a really interesting thing. Like I don't need your email address. You can have the information. And if you think it's useful and you want to come talk to us, then you can, or we can retarget you or a lot of other things. And so like uh, continuously push against the idea of gated content to get a lead to go outbound. I just don't think it's buyer centric at all. So I, I, I want to dive into that because I've, I've heard you say that before. And right now, the, the conventional wisdom is, oh, you have to have a lead magnet, get the email, then you work them through a campaign over weeks or months or whatever. So, so tell me about what you've seen and what you're experiencing with not having gated content. Yeah, I mean, when you think about a lot of the behaviors that happen in marketing, they're often driven by education through tech vendors teaching you things that you would need their product in order to do. And so like, this is a pure like 2009 marketing automation system design campaign based on, Hey, you have a form. We have a, we have a software that sells a form. And then once you get the information, you can put them into an automated workflow with emails and then, Oh, so wait, how do we do this? Oh, we, you need the marketing automation system. It's $800 a month. And so like, and that, that was in 2009, but marketers haven't grown out of it. Like, the the idea that it's effective, like it was more effective in 2009 than it is today. But everyone knows that w- if they do that and then they're in email cadence in the third email, they're probably on the point where they're ready to unsubscribe because they didn't really ask for that. They just wanted the piece of information. Yeah. So how are you targeting different people at different stages of the funnel? So um, that content might be good for initial searches, but how do you get them down the funnel? How do you target people at different levels of the funnel? Yeah. So the first step is I don't really think about it like a funnel. I think about them like people. Interesting. I think about them like people and I create content that would work across the whole buying journey. A case study where a customer, you know, saved $500,000 using this tool would be interesting whether you've never heard of the company before or if you're an evangelist successful customer. It would be interesting if you position it the right way for anyone in the journey. You release this new feature. You have this new integration this new industry study came out that said that blah, 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 people are struggling with this. Like that's the type of information that that I want to produce from a paid standpoint. And so, and based on delivering the information, you create awareness of both your company and your product. And then when the awareness is created, like right now, if you, because a company has been advertising to me on social, I don't know, I don't care anything about HR tools, but right now I have the one HR tool that I do know in my head I'm not ready to buy it, but I'm sure at some point when I am, I know who to search for. So people don't think about it that way. That's, that's just building brand. The, I don't think about it like a funnel. What, things that we do do, um, which is interesting, is the first one is just going to be like persona-based cold targeting. So if I'm going after CFOs and VP of finance at certain types of companies, I'm just going to build that audience and I'm going to target them. Right? That's easy. And then at the same time, we're going to be probably doing some account-based work, whether it's named accounts or firmographic account-based work. So that's happening. And then the next two steps will be, we'll pull in intent data from Bambora 
or G2 or whoever. And we'll do intent-based targeting for specific types of content. And then the last piece is we'll be active in pipe. And so we'll pull out the accounts that are in Salesforce with opportunities and actively market to the people that are in pipe. And so, and, and when you're, when they're actively in pipe, we'll actually market to a broader set. So we might market to the entire function, not just the job title. I love it. I love being able to customize it to the different roles. I think that's, that's absolutely great. Um, now tell me, I know that you've had some thoughts on demos and you talked earlier about how even as a marketer, you're tracking the, the, the later stages of the process, which I think is great because a lot of the marketing people I've worked with and talked to is they say, okay, I got a lead. I'm done. I don't care about that. After that, I did it. I checked that box and hit my number. I'm going to go focus on getting more leads. But I love that you're talking about, hey, what happened to that lead in the next step? What did they get to a demo? What happened after the demo? How did they convert? And I think that's great. And I think more companies need to have alignment across divisions and across departments and so that people are trying to get that end result of revenue. Uh, I don't think that happens enough. But what are you seeing that are some of the more frustrating things that SaaS companies are doing? What what are some of these companies trying to do within their marketing and sales funnel that you think is completely backwards? Anything? Yeah, I mean, just a just a little bit of a, a tangent because I want to talk on a point you mentioned. The the reason that I got to these metrics, and I think why a lot of marketers haven't got there yet, is when I built a demand gen function in house at a thirty million dollar company. When I saw how much it was working, when I saw the engagement on the Facebook ads, when I saw people moving through the funnel so fast, and I watched the CEO and the chief sales officer continue to invest in sales instead of marketing. And I watched how that was impacting the company. I had to figure out how to frame it up in a way that they cared about in order for me to get more budget in order to ultimately help the company grow faster. And so I started looking at things like, how is it impacting rep productivity? How is it impacting sales cycle length? How is it impacting win rate? What happened? How is it impact? How are we getting accounts that we've never even heard of before? Because they're not in Salesforce. The sales team's not actively going after them. How are, how are they finding us? Um, and so I started looking at those types of things. And that's how I went from having a $500 experiment to run Facebook ads to managing a $1.2 million budget in 12 months is by framing it up in a way that the CEO cares about. Um, so moving back to the, the question that you asked about, like, what are things that SaaS companies are doing that are frustrating from a sales and marketing standpoint? Like the gated content one is terribly frustrating because I know how much it doesn't work. Um, and I'll go in and I audit somewhere between three and seven SaaS companies a month. Like they keys to the castle, get into our Salesforce, our ad platforms, all the different things. And I'll break it down inbound, outbound. And then inside of, I call inbound, like anything that came through the website and then through that paid events, syndication, all these different things. And inside of paid, Pretty much all they're doing is running ebook downloads or some other mid funnel offer like webinars. And some of them are running get a demo and you get in there and then you start looking at the funnel metrics and the spend and the CAC. And you're like, wow, we're spending a hundred thousand dollars a month in AdWords, broad match keywords for ebook downloads. And then we're going to go and we're going to go in and look at the people that are submitting the forms. And they are people that would never be able like self-employed people that would never be able to buy our $35,000 a month SaaS tool. And it's no just point. like, like how how is this even happening? Like that's an extreme example. Um, but paid social ebooks, same thing. I, I see companies try and target me with on demand recorded webinars uh, on LinkedIn, clicking off 
of LinkedIn onto an external landing page with a form to watch a 60 minute video and you're paying $80 per 1000 impressions in order to do that. And you're going to get way less than 0.1% conversion. And then even the person that converts isn't going to watch the video. So you're literally just paying, just giving away money for the fact that you're going to have a metric. Um, so those things don't really uh, frustrate me. I just think that people should really look at what they're doing and figure out a better way to do it. Um, okay. Some of the things that really frustrate me um, as a buyer, I go through a lot of different SaaS processes for products that somewhere, maybe somewhere between five and $50,000 a year. Um, and the one, the thing that frustrates me most is when I request a demo um, getting passed to an SDR that can't give me a demo. That drives me crazy. That drives it's re- me crazy. It's really, it's, it's really frustrating. I've kind of like, I've beaten the drum on this one uh, quite a bit um, because companies are literally losing deals left and right by doing it this way. They've lost me several times. They've lost me several times before the, before the SDR even sent me a follow-up with the account executive's name. I had already bought their competitive product for like $12,000 a year. It's like, uh, like I asked a demo when I go in to get a demo, I'm ready to buy. Usually like I do, I'm done. I'm just like, give me the price, give me the price, show me the product, make sure it can check these three things and I'm ready to go. I'm not submitting an RFP and waiting 90 days to buy something. Um, Mm -hmm. and so like, uh, yeah, I, I find that to be probably the most frustrating thing. And you go in and look and for some companies that have a 90 day sales cycle and they're not actually even giving a demo until day 30. It's like, how many deals are you losing because you don't give a demo before day 30? And then, like, why is your sales cycle 90 days? Probably because it's taking you 30 days to give a demo when they could literally just have a video to watch on their own. Um, I find that to be to be frustrating. And the last thing I think is companies that refuse to publish their pricing that are not super high ticket items or custom, mm-hmm. like... If it, if it's coming in less than fifty grand a year, just put the price on there. It's a yeah. I think deal. it helps get more quality anyway because you weed for out sure. the people qualify themselves out. Yeah, absolutely. But I love what you're saying, and and that really rings true because I've heard the philosophy of make them work to get the demo. Like, why do you want to do that? That you care about them more than they care this about just, you. So. This is pure just being seller centric. The opposite yes, of buyer centric. Let, let's oh. make them do everything that we want as opposed to adapting our process to how they buy. Stupid. And that's how I do it. That's what I do in marketing. Um, I don't typically like touch a lot of this. I mean, I'll share my point of view like I just did. Um, but from like our business standpoint, I don't usually like touch the sales side. Like that's something that, that they're able to handle on their own, but I track the success of it and the, the performance of the sales team ultimately impacts the success that, I can have for myself and for the companies we work with. That's where you introduce them to me, Chris. That's what I do. <laughs> if I see a company with a process like that, that's where I come in. <laughs> um, so I, we're wrapping up here, but just for some of our audience who are getting started, some of the founders out there, you've done a great job of getting Refine Labs off the ground and really starting to kick butt. What are some of the tips you would give to other leaders as they begin their journey? I think the the really interesting thing about how I've done this is basically for the past five years of my career, I've done almost the opposite of what everyone else would do. Um, people were going to trade shows and I was running Facebook ads in 2015. Um, and then when I started this company, 
and we started to hit some traction, like 20K MRR or something. Um, people told me the first person I should hire is a outbound SDR. Um, and I hired a part-time videographer and started creating content. Um, and so, uh, I think a lot of founders, especially ones that are early stage that have maybe raised seed typically, uh, will just onboard a huge sales team. Um, I think that figuring out how to create the demand yourself to get to a million ARR is smart. Um, it forces you to really understand the sales process. It forces you to really provide value. It forces you to really create demand. It forces you to build an efficient business. The second thing is like, we're profitable, like, and, and a lot of comp, a lot of companies aren't. Um, and so it forces you to be smart about your investments and your people and the, and the, and the things that you do, which I think is a strength ultimately. But when you're just getting, when you're getting started, I think it's about, really understanding your customer and being able as a founder to communicate with them. That's beautiful. I think that's, that's fantastic. I think that's great advice as a founder myself. A few times I could have used a lot of that, uh, but I hope that it really helps those out there. This has been really great. I've learned a lot and I really appreciate it. This is not uh, marketing 101. This is like marketing 534 or something like that. Super advanced and super uh, outside the box beyond what other people are thinking. So we've been talking with Chris Walker from Refine Labs. Chris, how can people get in touch with you or learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, so LinkedIn's probably the best. LinkedIn, um, Chris Walker, at CEO of Refine Labs. And then if you want to go to our website, it's refinelabs.com. And lastly, we're publishing a, uh, a podcast called The State of Demand Gen. Um, a lot of people are in there. A lot of demand marketers getting a ton of value. So I'd recommend you check it out if you'd like. That's great. I'll be sure to check it out myself. But uh, thank you very much for coming on. Awesome, Matt. Thank you, man. Absolutely. For everybody else, take care. We will see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Sastery in the Making. Join us next episode for another look into how today's visionaries are creating the next generation of innovation.